Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Now, before we dive into uh, a larger section tonight, verses 6 through 25 of chapter 1, I want to acknowledge again that I'm not going to be doing a, like a deep dive into the science. I know, I mean, it's one of the things I truly love, uh, but it become, quickly become a, a science lesson and a lot of knowledge just for the sake of knowledge. Uh, but I don't want to ignore it, and, and there are some good tools that can be found when it comes to apologetics and really relating to evolution. And, and that's, a, that's a really, really deep pool to dive into. Uh, so I thought it better just to provide some resources. So if you're going to write down, this will be a chance that you, I'll try to say them as slowly as possible, give you a second to write down. But here's some resources to help you understand much of the science that's found here in this opening chapter or two of Genesis and equip you with resources to really stand against the evolutionary conversations that are happening within education and within our world today that are, that are pervasive and prepare, prepare us to defend our faith. So here's some resources. The first one is Answers in Genesis. And you can find that at answersingenesis.org. Answersingenesis.org. Great organization. Ton of, you can do searches on certain words and it'll pull up articles. It's just, it's very, very helpful. Um, icr.org. That's the Institute for Creation Research. icr.org. Again, another excellent resource. Also, Charlie Campbell, we've actually had him come here and speak. He's a great apologist, a great defender of the faith, um, and his website is alwaysbeready.com, alwaysbeready.com. And then last but certainly not least, and, and not the end of all the resources you could possibly have, uh, there was one that was mentioned to me by uh, Lee and Tammy, appreciate that. It's called ID the Future Podcast, and it's idthefuture.com. ID, the letters ID, thefuture.com. I read a few things on there today, or listened to a few things there today. Really, uh, really insightful. So, there is a, a plethora of good resources that you can connect with. Uh, Nathan is, is a great, great apologist when it comes to this kind of stuff. He's a science teacher himself, so he's a great love for it. Uh, he's certainly a good resource. But also, on the book side, if you're one of those people that likes to read books, um, you want a book that's relatable and understandable without diving too deeply into all the science speak, I'll give you uh, uh, three books that I think are helpful. Um, these are ones that I've read that I've appreciated. One is called Darwin's Black Box. By, by Michael Behay, and that's B-E-H-E, Darwin's Black Box. And that he looks at uh, life through uh, the theory of irreducible complexity, which again, super interesting. Um, you can geek out a little bit on that. 
And then also uh, Darwin on Trial by Philip E. Johnson. Darwin on Trial by Philip E. Johnson. And then last, Signature in the Cell by Stephen Meyer. Signature in the Cell by Stephen Meyer. Now, again, these are not the only resources. These are just ones that I have a connection to and have invested a little bit of time in. Uh, but those, those are great resources. There are many others that you could dive into that would give you a solid understanding for when we look at the events recorded here in Genesis, we don't have to somehow bow to or make the, the Bible um, line up with science. And, and I say that very carefully um, because science isn't always science anymore. Um, so, there you go. Let's take a look at our passage tonight. We're going to read through the whole thing together, and then we'll walk through some of it. Genesis 1, chapter 6, or Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the middle of the waters, and let it separate the water from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was an evening, and there was a morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was an evening, and there was a morning, a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for the lights be for lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth, and it was so. Do you see what it's saying over and over again? And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. There was an evening and there was a morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. There was an evening, and there was a morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the, heads of, God made the beasts of the earth and after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Amen? Amen? 
I mentioned last week that, that I did not address the closing of verse 5, so I want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, verses 5, verses 8, and verse 13 use the same words to describe a day uh, that he's speaking of. There was a morning and an evening. Our Creator, who spoke time, space, and matter into existence, did it, did it in a manner and in a way and described it in such a way that it was understandable and accurate. And this is really critically important. This is a little tiny piece here. Some have proposed that the word day means seasons or periods or even perhaps gaps of time. Now, this was done to reconcile what it was thought of to be as facts within the geological, paleontological, and archaeological community. Really, evolutionary thought. It was an effort to align with, quote, the science of the day. However, no such periods, seasons, or gaps are necessary to understand current factual scientific data. In fact, science, again, if you really want to geek out on this, you can, you can search this out through Answers in Genesis. They have some crazy, wicked, smart guys that write really scientific, if, if you want to read the hardcore scientific articles, um, you can read about the latest scientific um, discoveries and how this, these things are just not necessary. Science has, is catching up to what the Bible has already said and has been saying for over 6,000 years. God created things that were mature, and again, this is just a little sampling. He created creation with maturity. He created in such a way that things could reproduce after their own kind from the very beginning. When God said there was a morning and an, or an evening and a morning, he communicated to us the understanding of a darkness and light cycle comprising of a 24-hour period. And in case we miss that, he solidifies it later in the, in the chapter for us. With the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars, he sets them to be markers of time to clarify what a morning and an evening were just in case we got it confused. He made it simple. He said he made it simple enough for a child to understand it. Speaking of the gospel, which the gospel is clearly tied to the foundations of the earth, the creative ex expression of God, which is finalized in the life of Jesus Christ. This day, this time, it would establish age and the form of, of the foundation of the genealogies that are coming later in Genesis, which in turn for us would help us determine even the age of the earth, if you have some curiosities into that, and the age of the earth and different things. It's interesting to discover things like the bristlecone pines, you know, the, the oldest known living tree over 5,000 years old. That's incredible, right? That's incredible. They would become markers for joyous celebrations. And even the announcement of the greatest celebration, the announcement of our Savior. God desired accuracy. And so he set the sun and the moon and the stars into motion and with them marking of time and the reality that we humans, apart from God, 
are limited in time, that we are finite. And that should cause us to ask the question, what then? See, from the beginning, the Lord was concerned with accuracy. Words such as day, male, female, sin, grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, they are not up for debate. The definitions of those words are not up for debate. How we or our culture thinks or feels are irrelevant. How science wants to interpret these things, they are irrelevant. God is and will always be, and His Word are the most trustworthy dictionary that we possess. Trustworthy dictionary that helps us to understand our world, life, and morals, and eternity. As Numbers 23, 19 and Titus 1, 1 through 2 and Hebrews 6, 18 remind us, God cannot lie. He means what he said. We don't have to try to make it squeeze into some man-made idea of what is or was. Going now back to verses 6 through 8. In verses 4, 6, 14, and 18, we see this idea of separation, and it's continued on uh, in various ways through the remainder of this chapter. Light from darkness, day from night, waters from waters, and water from the earth. From the start, God used separation as a method of setting things apart. We understand that we are set apart. We are separated. This separation doesn't cease with nature and elements. Due to sin, separation also happened between God and mankind. We're going to get into that a little farther into Genesis. Man was separated from the Garden of Eden. Later still, man was separated or set apart from destruction. During the time of Moses, just eight people separated out, set apart. Human relationships would be separated during the time of the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. People would be separated by language, and then we would have all these new cultures saturating the earth. From Moses to Abraham, from Abraham to Jacob, and from the nation Israel to the time of Christ, mankind would experience various separations or various incidents where they were set apart from others, and each of them had a purpose. All these divisions were done for a good purpose and sought to magnify, understand this, sought to magnify the glory of God in each one of them. As we would look at each of those instances in creation where God is separating things out, He wants to capture our attention. He had a plan and a purpose, and that separation will continue until Jesus returns to gather his followers, you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, and to abolish the separation between mankind and the Creator. There will be a time when separation ceases. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Revelations 22, 4, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb of God will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. And number four, or verse four, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. We will be face to face with God, no longer separated by the curse of sin and death. No more darkness. At the beginning of time, there were separations, and at the end of time, there will be another separation. The question is, which side of the separation are we going to end up on? Have we, again, tying to Pastor Doug's message in Jude, have we been called and set apart, sanctified and kept? Beloved of God. That can be resolved relatively simply. So it's been two days now. Time, space, and matter, visible light, the atmosphere and water, they've all been created. We come to verse 9, and really throughout the rest of the chapter, we have this description of the Lord's order of things. He started this orderliness at the very beginning, and he continues this orderliness. One thing leads to another by natural function. And again, this stands starkly against the argument of evolution, where it's a cosmic accident, that it's by chance that it has no purpose, meaning, nor any hope at the end. Evolution offers us only this, you live, you die, and you're worm food. But God says, no, there is an order to this thing, and that order had a purpose from beginning to end. For plants to exist, there must be soil, there must be water, and a method to deliver the water to the plants, and there must be light. Furthermore, each plant is created to reproduce after its kind, each animal to reproduce after its kind. If, in case you didn't know this or understand this, evolution is only a theory. It is only a theory. Though often taught as fact, it is not. It has never been proven. In fact, in our day and age, it increasingly falls apart, which is the reason for many subvariants of the evolutionary theory. Punctuated equilibrium, uh, there's all kinds. You, again, you could really geek out <laughs> if you want to go read some of those articles. Evolutionary theory is a flawed theory, one that cannot hold. It offers no explanation of how mutation on a macro level, micro, not micro, but macro level, meaning from one kind to another kind, from a dog to a cat in the simplest of forms. As I mentioned before, the Father created a mature ecosystem, one that was fully functional. He did this, as I mentioned, in an orderly manner. Science itself testifies of God's orderliness. If you didn't know this, and I'll share it with you, King Philip chases old fat Girl Scouts. Kingdom, phylum, order, class, 
genus species. Now, I learned that when I was in high school as a tool. <laughs> maybe it helps you, maybe it doesn't. But God's order is built there. Kingdom, phylum, order, cla class, order, family, genus, species. We fit into God's order. God arranged time and his creation in such a way that we could make sense of the fossil record of DNA and gen genetic mutations. Each living thing has its order within God's kingdom. You and I, we have a place, an order in God's kingdom. The Bible describes the creation of marriage, of other human relationships, and most importantly, the order of relationship that we have with God himself. I love the fact that God is a God of order. People laugh about it. I'm a list guy. When, when I'm working on stuff, I create lists. I, I create this order. I think I was created in God's image. He is orderly. All right, so don't give me a hard time. But there is an orderliness so, so that we can see and understand God for who he is because he is a complex individual. It says, again, the Bible tells us that his understanding him, we cannot do it. His ways are inscrutable. Again, I've shared before, I love that word. Uh, we just cannot grasp all that he is and what he is capable of. But he set things into a particular order so that our tiny, human, finite minds, now corrupted by sin, might understand, and by observing them, as it says in Romans, by observing his creation, we would see that it testifies of him. Amen? That we would look at creation and say, wow, the very fingerprints of God. Hebrews 11:6 and without faith it is impossible to please him for those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him talking about order this is God's order for us to to know him Romans 10:13 through 14 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved how then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard and how are they to hear without a preacher how are they to preach unless they are sent? God has an order of things. His order does not cease. He has an order for us in his kingdom now in practical matters to cooperate with his will and purposes, which is to make his glory known in any and all circumstances, all seasons of life. And this is why it's so important for the church body to be a place of order, to be a reflection of the Lord's order and authority. You see, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians church in 1 Corinthians 14, and he is addressing the disorder or confusion that existed in the church in that moment. They were gathering together and in their worship services, and people were doing just what they wanted to do, whatever they felt was right in the worship of God, and it was a chaotic mess. 
So much so that unbelievers would come in there and be offended by what they heard. Or perhaps maybe you've experienced it like I experienced it one time. And, and I'm like, what in the world is this craziness going on? And how does this even re relate to God? People are falling down on the floor and making weird noises. How does that tell me that God exists? How does that in intelligibly communicate that God is a God of order? He calls us as his people to live within the order he created. Which begs the question, how are we or are we living within the prescribed order of his kingdom? I like that in science it's kingdom first, kingdom order, or king, I'm sorry, kingdom phylum order. I like that it's kingdom first because God's kingdom must come first in our life that we would be able to understand anything at all, to grasp it for any reasonable purpose. Are we set apart for God? Have we been set apart by God for His purposes? Do we reflect the light of the world? Have we left the darkness? Do we allow the living water to flow through our lives? and pour out upon others? Are we doing the most basic of function? Are we reproducing after our own kind? More specifically, are we producing disciples? We were discussing this a little bit last night in our, in our home group. God did not call us to produce converts, people that will mentally assent to the facts, but never allow it to change their life. They will go to church, as I did for many years, go to church, sit in a pew, sing some songs, listen to a sermon, maybe attend a Bible study, but it never was reflected in my daily living. Is that who we are? Does the seed of God's word produce the fruit of God's word? Looking again at verse 14 through 25, uh, we see God creating living, breathing creatures. Uh, even in this, he did, he did a separation from the rest of creation. He set them apart from what would come later. And we'll dive into this much deeper as we end chapter 5 and get into chapter 6, or I'm sorry, the end chapter 1 and get into chapter 2. See, these animals or these creatures were not endowed by their creator with the breath of life. Now, every trip that I've taken to Africa has left me amazed at the, at the variety of plants and animals, uh, the creatures, and, and, and how they reflect the majesty and the glory of God. If you get an opportunity, and I seriously say, if you get an opportunity to go on a short-term mission trip, especially to Africa or one of the places where there is a lot of just ridiculous flora and fauna, plants and animals, I encourage you to go 
not just for the sake of preaching the gospel. Yes, that's why we go, to communicate the gospel, but also that you would be assured that the gospel is sound, that you would be captured fresh by the majesty of God that's displayed in his creation. In the absence of an understanding of God as he describes himself, I, I could see, I could see how people would look at these, these amazing, majestic, and, and sometimes terrifying animals, creatures, and begin to worship them or ascribe God-like characteristics to them or compare God to them. But, but this is the warning. Nothing in all of God's creation is like him. Nothing in all of God's creation is like him except one, mankind. We are not exactly like him, but we are like him. No, God alone is the source of all beauty and diversity that we see and experience in our lifetime. However, if I take the stance <coughs> that there is no creator and furthermore, I'm not subject to him, then worshiping what I can see is all that I have left. Paul addressed this in Romans. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them up to... <coughs> Excuse me. I had to get a cup of water. I know where this is coming from. <clears throat> God gave them up to vile impurity in their lusts of their heart so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood and worshiped and served the creator rather, creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. How often are we tempted to worship what is created? Ooh, thank you. Oh, even a, even a cough drop. Man. How often are we tempted to, create, to worship what is created? Do we place more importance on the things of this world than the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God dwelling within us? Do we worship our work, our cars, vacation, our kids, our homes, our toys, our hobbies? Is there anything that we love more and spend more time doing or thinking about than what God purchased us for? And, and I say this, I mean, I as I'm writing these words you know, th this afternoon, I I'm saying like, yeah, there are some things right now probably that are occupying way too much of my time. It's good for us as we look at the scriptures and understand that God created some amazing things and he's allowed us to participate in this creative process, but we cannot then bind ourselves or enslave ourselves to these things that offer us no long-lasting purpose and certainly offer no eternal purpose.
as we move forward now in, in verses 20, I'm going to kind of jump back and forth here. We're on the fifth day. Piece after piece of creation has been formed, and each time God said it was good, or he also said, and it was so. God spoke, and it was done. There was no equivocating. <laughs> it was instantaneous, and furthermore, it was good. There was no failures, no flaws, no death, no decay. It was perfection. In verse 22, we see the words, the, the first use of the word bless. Now, when we get to verse 28, we're, we'll discuss the significance of that word a little more. For now, it's enough to know the that God was again making a distinction between different parts of his creation. And he's going to highlight that when he comes to day six, the end of day six. In verse 24, God brings forth animals from the earth or from the dust. This is similar to man, similar, yet again, they do not have the breath of God in them. There's a distinction here between the, the creatures of the sea and the birds of the air, and now the, the animals, but there's still this dividing line between that and what will come next. Though animals would come from the same dust as man, they would not have the same relationship to God. Their life does not include a peace, a reflection of the Godhead. As we consider all of these pieces here, as we look, think through the, this, this first chunk of the chapter, we see the creative power of God displayed through His voice, the importance of separating light from darkness in both physical and spiritual senses. The Spirit of God moving or hovering over the surface of this black void, just as God is still moving today, as I mentioned before, as God did, hovered over Mary as he was about to create order in the chaos. God is still moving today. God is still moving today, birthing new life out of the chaos. You and I, we are examples of that. And we get to participate in creating other examples of that. What could be more joyful than that, than participating in God's creative work? What could be more satisfying than knowing that you have snatched or participated in the snatching of someone from the very flames of hell? Certain destruction, eternal separation in blackest darkness. Today, the Lord calls each of us to walk in the light, to work while it is yet day, to make the most of the days that are evil that we live in. While we're here on earth, may we worship Him in his light. Amen? May we run from any hint of worshiping the things of this world. May we be solidified in our understanding of the truth 
of God's word, the accuracy that he made sure we understood, the order of the things, and may we participate in the kingdom in a way that glorifies him. And then, until he comes, may it be our longing for the day when order and perfection are restored. And all creation, all creation once again lives in perfect unity and to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because that is God's purpose. That is God's order. And he's called us to participate in it. Amen? Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together. Thank you.